Welcome to Art Conversations, and I am your host, Lisa Jane Irvine. As a practicing visual artist, I've had the opportunity to meet many interesting individuals along the way. Every path I've ventured down has provided me with a greater knowledge in the arts, as well as a vast array of experiences that have helped to shape my practice both in and out of the studio. I encourage you to grab a cup of tea or even a coffee and settle in as we begin my conversations with my guests who are working, practicing, exploring, even playing in the arts. Sharifa Marsden is an Anishinaabe Ojibwe from Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nations in Ontario. She began painting and doing beadwork when she was about 13 and was taught by her mother, who is also a painter. Sharifa connected with elders in her community and began doing leather work, crafting moccasins and regalia. Then she took courses in Northwest Coast Jewelry at the Native Education College in Vancouver, where she became skilled in hand-engraved jewelry. She also trained for two years at the Vancouver Metal Arts School for Goldsmithing. Her jewelry design is based on Ojibwe floral art and geometric beadwork, and her paintings are inspired by her life. Sharifa's intricate jewelry beadwork, weaving, and painting is sold on her own website and through galleries like Latimer Gallery in Vancouver. She has also been commissioned to create colorful murals depicting Indigenous life and culture, including Healing Quilt to honor the loved ones lost from opioid overdose and unconditional love with the Vancouver Mural Festival. Sharifa Marsden's painting series, Anishinaabe Motherhood, tells the stories of motherhood and of being a woman. It reflects her Anishinaabe heritage in a contemporary context and it includes her own personal experiences. Please help me welcome Sharifa Marsden to the podcast. Hi, Sharifa. How are you? Anin, hello. And miigwech. Thank you for having me. I am so excited we're getting to chat tonight because I have so many questions about your jewelry and your motherhood series. Thank you. So I thought we could start with you telling us a bit about your early teachings. I find it interesting that your mom was a painter and she's a person who you learn from. Yeah, when I was about 13 is when I was old enough to sit still and sit with my mom and take in her teachings. So when the house was quiet and all my sisters were sleeping, we would sit at the kitchen table with a lamp and then she would paint and I would paint along with her. And sometimes I would just sit there for hours and watch her brush strokes and watch her paint her different colors. And then after she was finished, she would tell me the story of what those paintings meant and and what dreams came to her, and what images were represented in those paintings. Do you see a connection between your own work and your mom's? Definitely, I have a contemporary version of what my mother taught me. She does a lot of dream work and a lot of animals, and I do uh, focus on contemporary women's stories, but I use the style of painting to express those stories. When you talk about contemporary stories, I know you did a series that were based on motherhood and from your own personal experience. Can you speak about that? Well, basically part of it was because I wanted to talk about the things that I was going through, the things I was experiencing being a new mother. And then the other part of it, being an artist and having all this creative energy, I needed to put it somewhere. So 
I began to create these kind of storylines based around motherhood. And then after I would create these sketches, which were visual representations of those stories. Mm-hmm. And then and then I would finish the paintings while I was mothering, while I was breastfeeding sometimes, I would be painting. So that's got to be challenging being an artist, a creative person, but also you have a little person who relies on you. So what advice would you give to other young mothers and artists? I think it transforms the way you create because you don't necessarily have the freedom. Like I had so much freedom and so much time to do, to almost be like a workaholic artist. Just I could work any day, any time. I could stay up till five in the morning painting. But then after I had baby, <laughs> it didn't really work out like that. I had actually thought that baby would be on a routine and I could get painting done from this time to this time. And none of those ideas worked out. So I just I had to get to a place where I stopped controlling the time schedule of baby and just kind of worked around him and allowed him to like make a mess while I was painting and allowed him to climb on me and call me and carry him around while I was doing sketching or painting. And I made it I had to make it like a lifestyle that mixed in being a mom and having patience and just slowly creating instead of having these stiff deadlines because it just didn't work after a while. And I'm curious, because before you were doing mural work, do you want to speak a little bit about the murals and what they represent and and how you got into that? Yeah, I started working on my first mural was like 2010. And that's when I began to fall in love with murals. And then that's when I decided I wanted to focus on painting large scale murals in Vancouver. This is when there was hardly any, like most of the murals were in the back alleys. They were considered graffiti. And there wasn't very much contemporary art going on in the city at the time. So I kind of huddled around the artists that I knew were into murals. And then I just kept bugging them (laughs) over and over and just like sticking my nose in their business. Like, what are you guys doing this summer? So are you working on any murals? Can I work with you? Like, you need some help? (laughs) I'll -hmm. volunteer. So that's how I got started. And then it just kind of, then they started giving me, after I was trained, they started giving me kind of leads on different jobs so I was able to connect with different organizations that wanted murals. What inspires you about the murals? What is it about working to that scale? I really think it's the challenge of creating something so large but it's also because I believe that Indigenous people need to have murals in in large urban centers because especially the young people need to know that there's a place for them and that they belong there as well. So creating images that relate to our culture, that represent Indigenous people in those spaces, and mm-hmm. tell Indigenous stories, and especially women's stories, like, and family stories to, you know, show that families and women and Indigenous people belong in those urban centres, that it's not just male-dominated. For anybody who hasn't seen the murals that you've created, can you describe some of the imagery and what they look like? Well, the largest one that I've worked on was in 2017. So the healing mural in the downtown east side of Vancouver, right on East Hastings Street, is is called the Healing Quilt. And it's a memorial mural basically for all of the 
people that we have lost from opioid overdose in BC and across Canada. And that was a really important project. I worked with Corey LaRock and Jerry Whitehead, and they're both Indigenous artists as well. And we all connected with the meaning of the mural, and we all personally have family members who have been affected by opioid, the opioid crisis in Vancouver. And it was the Vancouver Mural Festival that hired us to do that, along with the interurban arts. So in the launching of that mural, we had a community gathering, and the lower part of the healing quilt mural had these um, geometric shapes where people could use these shapes to put on the names of the members of their families that they have lost and put kind of love notes or even a letter to their family members that are in the spirit world. And is that tough? You talk about it having personal meaning to, to do a piece that's so personal but so public. Is that hard to do or was it healing? It was really hard to go about it because it brought forward all those emotions that go with losing somebody in opioid addiction or even like even following a family member throughout their addiction is really heartbreaking it's really hard to Mm -hmm. experience that in itself and then we just like the team of us we transformed that that sorrow and that hurt and those struggling feelings into love we just flipped it and we just remembered and just put the love forward that we have for all of those people that we knew that were struggling because those people are human they're innocent and you know they have no control over their addiction and just embrace you know the people and that are that kind of surround that community it it sounds like a lot of your work is very personal it does come from personal narrative have you always worked that way yeah, I don't think I have any other way that I can work. <laughs> I do have some art projects that I've worked on that are kind of like more humorous, but it all relates to something that I'm experiencing or something that is going on with my family or with my community. I like to share those stories and transform them into artwork. You also do jewelry, which if anybody hasn't seen it, is stunning. We'll make sure to link your Instagram jewelry account so people can check it out. Can you talk a little bit about that process of going from learning to paint to being in the world of jewelry and a jewelry smith? Well, yeah, for me, learning how to do jewelry came out of necessity of survival as an artist. It was really hard when I was young to survive off of painting. And then I decided, well, if I'm going to be an artist and if I'm going to continue this route, I'm just going to have to figure out another way to live you know, something that's going to profit so that I can actually live month to month. So I I decided that I could do jewelry and then I could use the images from my culture and express those in gold and silver form. And I knew a lot of artists that did jewelry at the time. And I thought, well, I could do my own version of that because at the time, I don't think there was any Ojibwe artist that did engraving. So it was kind of a leap for me. And then I had to transfer the images of the florals and the images of the geometrics into a silver form. And it it worked out really well. And the Latimer Gallery bought my first pieces for my grad. So that was amazing. That started off my relationship with them. And then I went to the Vancouver Model Arts School for two years. And I studied with a German goldsmith, Gerald Mueller. And he was amazing. And he transformed and pushed me 
pushed me to the edge with each lesson. So from then I came out of there with a very strong knowledge of jewelry and goldsmithing. And can you talk a little bit about the patterns? Like you talk about it comes from your personal culture. What are the patterns and how are they significant to you? Well, in uh, Ojibwe Anishinaabe culture, all of our artwork, it comes from nature itself. And so the florals are from different flowers. And it's like a celebration of life because flowers all come in spring. So that's when all the beautiful wild roses and such come out. And also that's when all the berries came out. So Mm -hmm. there's flowers with each of the berries and especially the strawberry, which is the heartberry, which is in all of Ojibwe culture ceremonies. I didn't know that. Yeah. And, And what is the significance of the strawberry? So the strawberry, we call it the heartberry. And it represents the heart and the love that we have. I'm going to look at strawberries in a whole new way. Yeah, seriously. In our wedding ceremony, we had a strawberry ceremony. And it it, it represents an exchange of love. So you feed a strawberry to your partner and your partner feeds a strawberry to you. And that's like you giving and, and receiving of that love. Oh, that's beautiful. Can you talk about what the beadwork represents, but also how you decide whether that should be in gold or how you decide it should be a bead piece or what is your process? Mm, I don't really have a process for choosing. I kind of just have my door open to projects that make their way towards me and then projects that keep me up at night. Like sometimes I'll have a dream of, of an image or a piece that I want to make, an idea, is there a painting or a piece of jewelry or a piece of beadwork? And then it's just like, I got to get it done. I just, mm-hmm. that piece is starting to speak. It has to, you know, the, the meaning of it has to be told. And then, and then I can let that go when it's finished. And then I can move on to the next piece. But it's like almost like a calling, like the gift of creativity calls me. And, and I have to pick up that phone and I have to do the work. I have to work on the project and then I can let it go and then work on something else. So do you go to the studio immediately? I'm trying to imagine being a mom and (laughs) calling you like, how do you, how do you translate that from, I have this calling to working? So sometimes I do it different ways. So sometimes I'll run to the studio, I'll do a quick sketch, do a couple notes, and then I'll go back to sleep. Sometimes I'll get on my computer or or my phone, and then I'll just start making some notes, and they kind of describe the image. So just to get that idea down, and mm-hmm. then it, and then as soon as I have some time, I'll start working on it. So I'll prep the canvas, I'll start picking the colors, I'll start creating the drawing that I need to start making the image. And then once the, the image is on a canvas, or it's on a piece of paper that I can use for beadwork, then I just start making it. Do you find sometimes that your ideas cross over? So you have something that speaks to you and then you are working on a painting, let's say, and then you're in working on jewelry and you find that same image or motif is being repeated? Oh, yes. Yeah. They're all connected because I use the same kind of themes. I use the imagery of the women's imagery, the the floral imagery, and the geometric imagery. They all kind of interplay and they they kind of evolve as I go some of them get more detailed and then some of them just kind of get more loose like I'm working on this 
new painting series, which is more of a traditional Anishinaabe woodland style painting, which is way more free, less clean lines, brighter, more brighter pigments, but you can't really overwork it and you can't be too precise with it because then it, it loses the tradition. And is that harder or easier for you knowing how you've worked previously or is this a, a new challenge or something that just called to you? Yeah, it's something that called to me. It also has to do with growing as a parent and parenting now a toddler who is so free and he's so wild and he's so outgoing. I had to kind of start letting go of the really refined kind of style that I paint. Mm -hmm. So with kind of like my lifestyle change and just being more free and open with my time, I, I just thought it kind of matched with what I'm going through. And and it's also the source of where I started. I used to used to paint woodland style. That's what my mother paints. And it's more of a free, kind of a dream-based style painting. You don't use rulers. You don't measure. You don't have super clean lines. You just have the image and you just put the paint down and you let it move the where it wants to go. It sounds like you're almost reconnecting with your mom and, and that early experience as a 30-year-old. Yeah, going back to the source. I know recently you were working with stretching some hides. Can you talk about what the work is and also the process for anybody who hasn't ever seen it or experienced it? So I'm creating a series of drums and also some images on the drums. So they're made out of raw hide as a raw elk hide. So you just you soak the elk hide for overnight in the cold water and then you cut out your shape, which is a circular shape, and you mm -hmm. lay it on the table. Then you lay there's a wooden ring that you put on top of it. And then you begin to kind of you I guess it's kind of like sewing. Mm -hmm. You're sewing the edges over the wooden hoop. And at the end of it you tighten up all of the strings and that dries in 24 hours and then you have the drum yeah and and depending on what material you use like the elk elk hide is really like, like a lower drum doom 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 whereas a deer hide is like a higher like ding 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 what was your inspiration in working on a drum how does that relate to you as an artist and even to your indigenous culture well, I've been making drums for a number of years, maybe about 20 years I've been making drums, and I do them for different purposes. So sometimes I do them for family members, sometimes I do them with schools and teach other young artists how to make drums, and I've been to other uh, First Nations communities and teach them how to make drums. And I, this particular time, I really wanted to do a series on drums, paintings on drums, but also because it's such an old art form, I wanted to have the conversation go backwards. So I wanted to bring back some of those teachings to today. So one of the drums, I actually already sketched out a design for it but it basically talks about how before western culture colonized north america there was a certain ways of life certain teachings that we had and one of them was respecting women so there's a painting that i designed to talk about how there was rules around respecting women you either respected your women counterpart or you could be cast away 
like it was just common knowledge that you weren't allowed to be abusive or disrespectful to women because women were the leaders in our communities before. And when Western culture colonized North America, they brought that teaching that women were, were to sit down and be quiet. And the men had to make them do that. And I mean, it's changing now today in our present time, but the, this is a Western teaching that came to our communities. And before then, how did we relate to each other? So mm -hmm. I'm just bringing back those teachings to today and mm -hmm. bringing up that conversation. So I find it interesting that you're putting it onto a drum. Do you imagine this being as an object that is on display? Or do you imagine this as an object that is actually played? I definitely want the story to be carried and along with the other stories. I'm going to do a seven drum series um, on these old teachings. But I do want somebody that connects with that specific story and that specific drum to be able to take the drum and to use it. I want those stories to be passed on. I don't want them to be in someone's shelf where nobody hears or sees it anymore. I want the drum to be played, and that's part of bringing those stories back is the drum used to be commonplace, and, and it should be again. I never thought of it, but it's beautiful how you can play the drum and you can hear it, but you also, at the same time, are hearing the story that goes mm -hmm. with the drum. That's beautiful. Thank you. So you said there's seven of them, so you've started. How many have you actually created? I have six right now. <laughs> and are they all painted at this stage? I have only one completed painting. One designed, completed design. Yeah, and then the rest are waiting. So I'm so curious because I've never worked on a stretched hide. So what medium do you use? How do you preserve that? I'm so curious about process and technique. So basically, I have to tie it a little bit tighter than I normally would because sometimes if you put too much of the the paint on it it kind of like bubbles a little bit so I just do a little bit tighter just a tad and then after it's dry I make sure that my acrylic paint isn't too watery mm -hmm. so I pre-mix all my colors and then I make sure I transfer the design the drawing kind of like I guess it would be a tracing and then trace it over right so you'd have the pencil mark and then you just fill in the pencil mark with whatever acrylic paint you have and you have to protect that afterwards then or seal it well you can but I don't I think that a drum should be played a drum should age and I think it's better if it if you have a, a painting on it and it has a little bit chips on it because then it shows that it has that love and attention and it has the use I like that so if the drums are going to be played, then do you imagine at some point there would be a performance to go with these pieces or do you just want them to go off into the world? <laughs> exactly. Uh, both. <laughs> I do want to, most specifically, the one about respecting women, I do envision that one being played in public and I have an idea of a singer that would do it for me and hoping they would sing a woman's song for me and then we can tell the story about it i think that would be amazing to see mm -hmm. 
they should definitely get in touch with them. You also talked a little bit about not only the teachings of your work, but you yourself have actually started to teach recently. Can you talk about that? And and how is that transforming the way you think about your art? Well, it's really exciting, actually, to be a part of this project. I did put in a proposal to the local First Nation here. I just moved to Karamea, so I wanted to find out more about the arts community and help to enhance it. I want this arts community here to grow, and I want to be a part of that growth. So I submitted a proposal to the local First Nation about this Indigenous arts project that I would like to do with them and at the school. And they got me to do a couple of revisions, and then they hired me. So I teach once a week traditional arts, and it's only been a couple months in, so we've done some basic things. So I started with like medicine pouches and those are made out of home tanned or hand hide. Mm -hmm. And it's like a small sewing project. So first they learn about how sharp leather needles are. (laughs) And then they learn about sinew and splitting sinew and making it small enough so that you can sew with it. And then learning about tying knots, learning about cutting the leather and how to put the two together and they create something that you're proud of and then I've worked with a little bit of beads and bone beads to make some necklaces and um, actually this week we're going to be doing drums (laughs) so I'll be teaching them how to make drums some of them have already made drums and some of them are going to be new to it so is this come back from your personal teaching like the elders that taught you now you're teaching yeah well, well, we call it the Indigenous Arts and Wellness Program because when you get to sit down and work with these materials and as you know, when you're an artist and you start to create, there's healing that happens and there's growth that happens internally. It is slow, but it's something that starts to build and starts to blossom. And one of the first things that you learn when you're doing Indigenous Arts is you're learning to work with the materials you're learning to connect with each other. You're learning to be patient. And then you're learning to build your community. You're meeting people and sitting with people you wouldn't necessarily normally sit with because they're all different ages. They're different grades. So they all kind of know each other, but they're all getting to know each other a lot better. And what about you as the teacher? How is that changing how you think about the arts? For me... It's kind of like my natural love. Like, I love to teach. I love to share what I know with other people, all different ages. And I think it's so important to pass these teachings on and not hone them for yourself. And there can't be anything that goes wrong with that. (laughs) No, it's just like, it's just going to benefit the community. It's going to benefit the relationships between those youth. And eventually, I hope that some of them can teach other people. Like, I'm teaching them in a way that they'll know everything that they learn, they'll know how to teach someone else. That's great. As we wrap up the podcast, I always ask every guest to tell me about a book. And more recently, I've been asking if there's an artist who they feel inspired by. So you can choose a book or an artist or both. I think I'm picking both. (laughs) So I chose a book already, but this book is by an artist. And it's called Ojik, The Art of Daphne Ojik, from 1960 to 2000. 
And it's basically a collection of her works throughout the years, and it tells different stories, mostly basically women's stories. And she's Anishinaabe Ojibwe from Ontario as well. She uses a lot of bright colors, and she does a lot of dream work in her paintings as well. She's an artist that I've looked up to my entire career, and I just I think that everybody should know who she is. Her work is beautiful. I've seen it several times, so I can understand why you would choose her. Thank you. One person that who has been um, fundamental in my growth is Indigenous artist, Cree artist, actually, Jerry Whitehead. He's done countless murals in Vancouver and a lot of paintings, and he's been one of my mentors throughout my career and yeah he's pretty amazing if you have a chance to check out his work well thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast this has been a lot of fun thank you loved hearing about your work and your process and what inspires you miigwech lisa and thank you for this opportunity and to the audience thank you for listening to what i have to share Thank you to everybody for listening over the last several months. As we approach the holidays, I'm going to take a small break from the podcast, but I will be back in the new year with some really exciting new guests. So please stay tuned. Follow along on my Instagram account, Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine, where you will see more details about the upcoming podcast. In the meantime, enjoy the holidays and I'll see you in the new year. Thank you for tuning in to Art Conversations with Lisa Jane Irvine. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and hit the like button. And don't forget to check out my website, Facebook, and Instagram accounts. Thank you for listening. See you next time.